Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the number one rated sportsbook app out there. I'm your host, Rudo, joined as always by AJ Hayfley, and we have another draft guest on today, Will Scouch, the founder and owner of Scouching.ca, as well as a contributor to Dauber Prospects, back again for uh, another year of draft coverage here at DNVR. Will, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's the busiest season of the year, uh, but uh, so far so good. It's been a long summer, but we're finally getting to the finish line, so I'm excited. Are you are you just over this draft class going on year <laughs> well, or, or going on the 14th month of it? It's funny. I uh, I am. I think a lot of people are. I mean, I, I still have games in my folder that I want to get through and track some data for before I get to the draft, but I'm honestly like just the willingness to do it is just so limited. It, like I, I think now as of the last week or so, I finally have been like a hundred percent comfortable with how, what I think of various guys and how I've ordered them and the data that I've got and general ideas. So I'm not expecting anything significant to change. I just, I kind of at this point want it to be over. <laughs> so uh, asked this same question last week to Grant McCag as well, but there are some leagues returning to play, currently playing right now. It sounds like you're in the same boat as him where these guys really can't help themselves that much over the next week or so. I think I think it in terms of their overall the overall evaluation, I don't think it it's a dangerous territory because you there's a lot of players that are draft eligible now that aren't playing. And I think that recency bias is something that afflicts everyone who looks at NHL prospects, Um, whether you think it does or not, it absolutely does. So, you know, I'm aware of it. Like I've been watching uh, Lucas Raymond play. He's been extremely impressive this year. So I'm sitting there going, well, I have him ranked really high, but is there a chance I put him ahead? But if the guys I have ahead of him haven't played a game yet. So it's dangerous to think that way, but it is kind of useful to say, all right, well, the guy's, had a summer off during the pandemic and like, let's see how things have kind of worked out for the player. Um, So I'm, I'm keeping tabs. I'm definitely checking the guys out, especially players who are going up a level and, and seeing how their games are translating a little bit in the early year. But in terms of real evaluation, I don't particularly care that much. Sure. Let's be honest for a lot of these guys, especially in North American, as far as those skaters, you have some preseason games in the queue and that's about it. Yeah. So hard to take too much from that. Yep. So uh, let's So you have, oh, you God. have all this, uh, you have, you have all this data. You've done all this tracking. Who's your, who's your number one guy? Oh, it's still Lafreniere. I think <laughs> that's the guy. Uh, it's, it, that, that, that doesn't change. Um, it's funny. Like the data and the public work usually tends to line up pretty well. Um, especially at the very, very, very top end, like the best of eligible prospects. That's the, those are the ones that are often the ones that are like nailed on the head, I would say. But uh, yeah, definitely still the big guy from uh, Ramuski. All that, uh, all that work to end up at the same place. I know I may as well <laughs> shut down. I'm just going to call it a bit. <laughs> uh, well, if AJ wants to see some of all that work, who's your first one that you think really differs from public opinion? Um, I think people really miscast or misinterpret Lucas Raymond. He's the guy that I think a lot of people are aware of his existence, but I think, you know, like NHL central scouting had him at fourth in Europe. Um, and you know, you're seeing some talk about what the top five this year might look like, who Ottawa might be looking at. Um, and you know, there are things that I believe more than other things. Um, but I look at Lucas Raymond and say, if that's a guy available outside of the top five, that's an absolute no brainer. He, one of the best two way players for his age group out there. I think a lot of people um, are underestimating just how smart he is and how just, just a rock solid hockey player. Like I, I really love what his game is capable of. And I think he's starting to unlock that offense. I think at the top end of the draft, he's a guy that a lot of people are misinterpreting or at least not properly evaluating um and outside of that i mean i i i I mean i've been yelling and screaming about this player out of russia all year but uh marakus nadinov is a player who i think you know you're looking at future potential i and that's a guy where i have a lot of data that can specify exactly what it is that that makes him very in to my opinion valuable as like a long-term bet um but 
not a lot of, you know, I'm seeing him in the mid to late second round and all that. And, you know, I think that part of that is visibility. Part of that is the quality of the league that he's playing in. But I mean, I've spoken to some people, even some people in Russia about him and they're really psyched about what he's going to do with his career and everything. Um, and, and for a lot of the reasons that line up with what I see out of him. And I think that that's a guy that to me is a first round pick, um, but to a lot of people seems to not be. And that's a guy where might be a good sort of benchmark for me is like, where will he be in five or 10 years? You know, that that's one where I'm definitely going to want to circle back and check myself because I am sticking my neck out quite a bit, but I think I have good reason, but a lot of people don't seem to be as, you know, gung ho on the same idea. On kind of that topic, from an analytical standpoint, how difficult is it really to compare players from league to league? I know there are some tools out there like NHL expectancy rates and things like that, but they all seem to have their flaws. Yeah, I think it's something that I've learned a lot about over the course of this season. I mean, because I last year, the only data that I tracked were for guys that were specifically going to get video reports. But this year, I switched it around and just been tracking all year and then let the data decide who I want to do videos on. And kind of went from there and doing a lot more high-end players and trying to discern the differences between them all. Um, and I think that that's part of the thing where video kind of has to come into the per- into the picture. You know, you really have to, you can have all the data in the world to me, and I'm a data guy, but you also have, there's a lot of context that goes in. So, you know, a lot of what I do is looking at, you know, I let the data indicate what is happening with the player on the ice. Like that's the fundamental thing is what is the player contributing to directly and what are they doing? But then the video is how are they doing it? So someone like uh, Jack Quinn, for example, I love his offensive ability in the offensive zone. He's so creative. He can make plays super quickly out of nothing. Um, I think he is an extremely underrated playmaker relative to his goal scoring at five on five. His line mates didn't finish a lot of plays he was setting up. Um, you know, he's got a great shot, but at five on five, at least his game is very sort of offensive playmaking, just kind of like the OHL Seth Jarvis kind of player. Um, but I look at, but then you look at the results and everything that kind of comes with it and the video that I'm pulling and I'm going, all right, well, but there are concerns with his skating in transition. You know, he's a bit real wide set. So he kind of isn't super efficient on his feet. Um, not the best defensive player. So all of those things kind of add up and it's like, it, it, it basically creates a profile of the player where you're going, okay, well, there's context that can affect future evaluation or, or current evaluation, but um, just just doing the data work might not capture everything. And you say, okay, well, he's generating these results, but in generating those results, there are issues. So it kind of works together, um, but, but learning how to do that, uh, which I'm still doing, has taken, I mean, looking at almost 100 players over the course of this year, you kind of start to see things that you like, things that you don't like, things that you might think are more projectable than others, but the data might show that certain players might look better than others. And, you know, like there are players who look great in my data, but I wouldn't look at them in the first round. Um, But there are players who are the opposite that I might think about in the first round. So it's all about context and sort of how you frame it, I guess. Yeah. When you talk about things that are more projectable, what are you, what are you looking at? The biggest thing for me is pace. Like I, I really, I think that in the work that I do, a lot of, a lot of it comes there, there, there are legitimate things that come down to just how you want the game to be played. So like in my view, scouting and drafting and developing, like your goal is to put a product on the ice that resonates with the coach and the general manager and, and everything in a measurably positive way. So my specific, the brand of hockey I really like is high tempo, high pace, creative, um, you know, active, all five players on the ice are active offensively. Uh, all five players chip in defensively. Like I'm looking for any sort of indicators that, that, that show that. Um, so to me, the big thing with me is pace. So I, I like guys who can really rip down the wing, but also can sort of slow the game down, control the pace of play, take a survey and make a read and play. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. Like a big reason I like Marat Kuznetinov is because he plays with an extremely high pace and, you know, has a ton of creativity that is only, I think, just getting better. Um, you know, Daniil Gustin is another one that I've really, really liked. He makes plays at a high pace like I don't think very many players in this draft. Um, you know, these guys have deficiencies, but for me, I'd rather start with players that can process the game quickly, work at a high pace, skate well, 
handle the puck well, handle it with care, and work on the deficiencies elsewhere over time with video and on ice coaching and whatever you want to call it. So that's the biggest thing is I'm looking kind of for like pace and guys who can make plays in a multitude of different ways with the puck. Like that's kind of what I'm really interested in. Speaking the Avs language a little bit there, kind of style of play they've tried to capture. Mm -hmm. Maybe not quite like Tampa, but (laughs) on the road. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully on that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How important is targeting someone with pace, someone like that, when you're trying to get value in a draft? Like, there are some players where it's clear, okay, this guy is just the best player available left, and, and pace gets put to the side a little bit. Mm-hmm. But how important are certain aspects when it comes to, to trying to make the most effective draft class? Well, I think as I think with with me in my own mind i'm thinking in the first round like you you kind of ideally want to get players that you can have as not maybe not cornerstones but re- like you can you can put them out on the ice and they will they are able to control the flow of the game right like guys like jack quinn for example awesome offensive tools great offensive player but in terms of a f- natural flow of the game player you know back checking forechecking positional play all of those things, I don't. I wouldn't put him on the on the ice and say, "Well, I'm going to channel the entire line through this player." You know, someone like Cole Perfetti doesn't have a tremendous amount of high pace to his game, but pucks flow through him really well. He he manages the middle of the ice really well and on the boards. You know, he can manipulate defenses at his own pace, which is something where I go, "Okay, he shows other aspects of the game where I'm not super concerned about it." He is a main target for passes from his defensemen, which I really respect for, for, you know, they trust that centerman to like be able to control the puck in transition. And he's a great passer through the neutral zone and all of these things. So he can kind of get away with minimizing that sort of high pace game. Uh, and I think he's good enough to adapt to NHL defenses that, that he'll be fine. I know people critique him on his skating, but I don't think he's one of those players that it's going to really hold him back, at least not long-term. Um, So there are, I mean, again, it's going back to that context, you know, sometimes you get to the point in the first round of the draft where a player like Jack Quinn is to me, the best player available. Like there's nothing wrong with an extremely talented complimentary scorer who has great offensive tools and maybe they're not a core piece of your transition game or your defensive game, but they're going to score points and you need guys who can score. So I kind of artificially not artificially, but those guys kind of are a little bit lower on my draft list than I think, you know, than I think most people like Jack Quinn is not a top 10 player to me, but, you know, I think he could be in terms of point production, like a pretty good one to come out of the draft. I just think about in the first round of the draft, like who can I put out as a quarterback for the line, whether it's a forward or a defenseman or whatever. Um, And then beyond that, you can kind of target the auxiliary pieces of your team, I guess. So if not pace, play driving ability? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. All right. And especially when you're at the top, you know, yeah. like when we were yeah. talking about Colorado in the top half of the draft for the last decade, you know, it's you're talking about guys who you expect to be your stars, to be your drivers, to be mm-hmm. the guys who you run the majority of your team through offensively and defensively. Yep. And now that they have those guys in place, you know, the – They've got Landis Gog and McKinnon and Rantanen. They've got Kill McCarr and Sam Gerrard and Bowen Byram. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're picking 24. You know, they're they're looking at we we talk a lot on, on our show about how the draft evolves as the picks go on, where you start giving up attributes when you're looking yep. at prospects. You know, you 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 say, okay, there are five categories we're looking at here. By the time you get to twenty four, if somebody's good at all of them, it's because he's not he's not a really high end guy. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's really good at two of them, that's something that we can build off of. And trying to prioritize those, I think, is what makes the draft so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree. I think. Um... You do. I think you have to. It's funny the way that I look at my rankings now and how I've ordered my lists and my tiers of talent and whatever. It's it's a lot of, you know, once you get into the second round and some and stuff like that. I think the second round is to people like me, 
almost as interesting or as valuable as the first round. I think there's a lot of players, especially in this year's draft, that I think could go in the second round, and they could be really, really interesting primary play drivers. But they're like you said, like there's a lot of areas of the game where it might not be quite at the point where you where he might be able to put it all together. But to me, it's worth the, the shot. Like it's worth the chance. And there's a lot of that this year. Guys like Brendan Brisson come to mind. Um, I think he, I mean, I have him at 31, but if, you know, he's a guy where I think there are holes in his game, but when you look at the flashes of what you see and what he's capable of when he's playing really well, you know, you, if he can, if he can grab that more often, like I can understand why people have him ranked much higher than I have him. Um, but I'm not, I still think that there's a few things that might limit his overall impact on the game, especially at five on five. But I think you look at guys like Robbie Yarventy you know, skilled winger out of Finland scoring, you know, unbelievable shot. He played against men this year, but there are a lot of questions about his defensive play and his work rate and and a bunch of other things that I noticed as well watching him. But if, you know, if that all comes together, I mean, he was a really good offensive transition player. You know, he has got really, really interesting skill. He's a great skater um, most of the time. And so if, so that's a big if, you know, like he might end up being a perfectly decent complimentary third line scorer guy because he's got some size. Um, but, you know, there are things where it's like there's a chance that this guy could become a, an, a very, very good offensive producer with some transition ability and play driving ability with the skating that he's got. So there's a lot of what ifs, but, you know, I guess that's the case with almost any player drafted in the draft beyond the top maybe 20 picks, I guess. On that note, we do need to take our first period break. Time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR, with eight different types on tap down at the DNBR bar. If you want to come on down and be part of our draft show in a little over a week's time, maybe less, not sure when this is going live, highly recommend to keep your eyes peeled for that sign-up sheet for the bar as it's going to sell out, I'm pretty sure, so... Come on down, have fun with that. Or if you're at home or not local, you can always find Breckenridge Brewery at your local liquor store. Go online and use their Breck Beer Locator to find the beer for you. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We were kind of headed that way anyway. So, Will, who you got for the abs at 24? (laughs) I knew this question was coming, and I've been thinking about it for a bit today, like five minutes. Um I think I think the Avalanche recently, like I was personally kind of surprised that they went with Bowen Byram last year. You know, another sort of aggressive attacking defenseman. I don't think they're going to do that again this year, but it does lead me to believe that they like these more again these high pace sort of high energy players that that aren't that aren't afraid to play and push offensively. Uh, you know, it 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 depends so much on who's available, but in that range. Guys like Noel Gundler come to mind. I mean, he's an inconsistent player, but if he can, again, sort out his game, the raw talent that he has in that area of the draft, I think is is really, really valuable. The data that I tracked of him was better than Alexander Holtz almost across the board as a five-on-five player. You know, there might not be as good of a shot, but in terms of driving play, I think Gundler does against men just fine. Um, not perfect, but just fine. Uh, I look at guys like Ozzy Wiesblatt as as maybe a bit of a reach at 24, but I think that pace and potential with his offensive game might sort of make up for maybe the size concerns or whatever. And I think Colorado might be a really good place for him to learn how to play that offensive game because I've seen, I've got some, there's, there's really, really good data for him in the offensive area. Um, his offensive transition game is good. Defensively, meh, he's a work in progress, but... I mean, the results that he drives is, is is pretty remarkable, and he has that pace to him. I mean, other than that, I mean, if you want maybe more of a passive sort of play-driving player that since they have so much good talent signed long-term, guys like Connor Zari might be a little bit further along on the developmental curve. I don't know if he'll even be available here, but this is around the range where I'd probably have him as like a maybe third-line center, maybe second-line winger who can chip in in all areas of the ice and at least be a solid offensive toolsy guy. Um, That's the area kind of where I would go if I'm the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, if Jacob Perot is a guy who's available at at that range because of his defensive issues that he showed this year, then that's a guy where I think Colorado would swing away on that as well. 
there's going to be some interesting players, but again, it really, really depends on who's off the board. Um, but those are the kinds of players that I think would be good fits for what I imagine Colorado's looking for in players. Um, and and I'm, I mean, in that range, there's going to be, I think, quite a few decent choices. J.J. Paterka is another one where I think he could be a really fun sort of high-energy guy that gives them a little bit of a different flavor than what they've drafted recently. Just a just an impact guy who, who's got some skill and can skate and played against men already this year. So they have they'll have some options I think and 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 it's it, if they if they go with the direction I think they usually tend to go uh they should be able to get a good player. We we've kind of run into this too where every time we try and break down this 24th pick for the Avs there's not a lot of defensive options defensemen that is options in general in that area. Mhm. I'm curious if you have any that you think would be worth a reach. Well, uh, funny you ask. One of the names I was going to bring up, and this is the only reason I didn't, was because I think with guys like Gerard and Makar and now Byram, the There's Avalanche a certain type they don't really need for sure. Yeah, yeah. but I, but I, uh, the defenseman that I've really, really liked is William Wallinder, who's in Sweden. Uh, you know, he's like the Philip Broberg of this year's draft, and. I think he's. I think there's more to like than 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 Broberg, but uh, you know, he he's one of these guys where you're going to need to be patient. But I think that with the with the patience and and coaching him to flex what he does really well, you know, he's an unbelievable puck carrier in my view. I think his ability to skate for his size and the fact that he's a July kid is all com- all in combination just a great package to work with. He played against men in the Swedish second division for for half of this year or so, um, and looked at least not terrible. And and playing against men when you're barely 18 as a defenseman, sometimes a left hand shot playing the right side, I, I think that that's a really interesting combination of of skills. And the fact that Moto was willing to call him up, put him in that position, um, I, I think is really notable. So I'm a big William Wallinder guy. Helga Granz might be a safer pick if he's available there. I get the feeling he might not be. But, you know, I like Helga Granz's ability to skate. A lot of the things that are issues with him are mental, you know. Under pressure, he can get a little bit overwhelmed, send passes to just nobody, um, you know. But overall, when he's in control and calm and, and collected, he's a reliable defenseman. So... That might be another guy where if he's available and you want something maybe a little bit more reliable, but with some of that mobility and, and passing and, you know, fun factor, I guess, I think Helga Granz could be a guy that might be one uh, Colorado looks at. Outside of that, I'm pretty sure this is a relatively light draft for defensemen. Like, I like Caden Gooley and guys like Braden Schneider, but I don't see them as first-round talent defensemen, personally. Maybe Braden Schneider in the late first. Um, but, but definitely I, at 24, if those guys are available, maybe one of those guys would work, but I wouldn't push for it. Um, I think those guys will be players, but I'm not sure how much of an impact they'll be on the game. I think defensively they're quite sound and they'll be fine. Um, but I think the projection of their game might be a little bit questionable considering what they can and can't do at the WHL level right now. So I look at guys like Wallander who've played against men will be playing against men for at least the next to, like, I don't know if he'll ever play a junior hockey game again. And he's just about, I think he's 18 as of July. So that's a profile and developmental path where I go, okay, like this could be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, and that's the guy that I would say, if you want to reach for a defenseman and, and work with him and be patient, that's probably a guy that I'd look at. Big fans of Wallander on this podcast for sure. But Good choice. Good choice. As, as you kind of brought up, the Avs don't need another puck charging D the types that we were trying to look at were, were more of the defensively sound ones with some puck moving ability to get it to their talent on the team. And that's where I struggled. I, with a, with the grands, I just don't know if I have the faith in those players to, mm-hmm. to be able to consistently move pucks the way I would want for the abs. Um, yeah, uh, further up the lineup, I think we're probably more okay with uh, a Schneider or Goulet than you are, but it's tough to draft D, especially uh, a conversation AJ and I have had a lot is the expectation is a lot of these D end up rising in the first round. Yep. So, yep. totally. It, and 
I think that same thing will happen this year for sure. Yeah. It, yeah. Which, if they do it, a, a Wallander ends up rising, a Grands ends up rising, and out of the Avs range, well, that's why we get to these forward conversations. Yes, totally. I mean, and I think the other thing, too, is a lot of good NHL defensemen who aren't like what you, who are kind of what you were trying to get at, are not first round picks. Um, That's true. You know, I look at I look at guys like Samuel Kanazko, who you could get third round, maybe fourth round, even, and I think that that could be an interesting counter to to what the Avs already have on defense in terms of their high octane guys. Like he's not the biggest defenseman, but on paper from my tracking work, he's one of the best shutdown players in defensive transitions because he's a very aggressive player. He's he he chip, he chips up in the neutral zone really often, but he does it in such a way where he's not putting himself too out of position. Um, You know, he's sort of a modern defensive player. And I think that, you know, on top of that, he is, I think the second most active passer I've tracked all year. So, you know, if it's just a matter of getting a guy who can play aggressively, like Colorado seems to like without putting themselves in a liability position and also being able to complete and attempt a lot of passes and just be able to move pucks around the ice competently that could be an interesting fit because I think there's other tools that if he keeps working on them, they'll come a ways. But uh, that's a guy that I think you could get later on in the draft that might carry a lot of value down the road, especially considering what the ads have already. And then you don't even have to worry about it in the first round. Cause you said like guys like Gooley and Schneider, I don't even think are going to be there at 24. I'd be surprised if they were. Um, Wallander, I think will be Grons probably not. I think, I think people see a defenseman go off the board. And then another one, they, they don't want to miss out on the next one. Then they don't want to miss out on the next one. Then they don't want to miss out on the next one. Like we could be seeing Braden Schneider go to Winnipeg at 10th overall. And, you know, it it wouldn't be my pick, but it wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, because Sanderson will be gone. Drysdale will be gone. And I don't know, maybe. But, it, you know, you never know. So that's why it kind of depends on who's off the board before 24. How hard is it to draft a classic defensive defenseman these days, given that when you're doing all this tracking and you're looking at their game, it just doesn't, it, do, it it feels miscast in an era that is so, it's it's so focused on skating and transition and puck moving yep. where we see guys who are five foot seven to five foot 10, all of a sudden filling up these top 100 draft lists. Whereas even five years ago, you might've gotten, you know, a small handful of those guys. Mm -hmm. Now there's 20 of them. Yep. You know, that it's just totally changed. And it's how it it feels like it's gotten so difficult to find just that big bruising defenseman who won't hurt you with a puck, but will have that physical element will kill penalties and just kind of fits that classic profile. Yeah, it's not easy. I think that's something that you, in my view, I think a lot of players who end up being useful in that role originally were offensive players. Like Ron Hainsey comes to mind, for example. Like he was a a decent defensive NHL defenseman, but when he was in college and when he was draft eligible, he was an offensive player. Um, You know, that's obviously not the rule, but, uh, you know, in this year's draft, it's it's been interesting to me to basically teach myself from a data perspective like what what does a good defensive player look like you know what is it that you want out of your defenseman so to me like i'm looking for defensemen that never play in the defensive end like that's kind of the goal is are they breaking are they causing transitions coming their way to be broken up and tr- causing turnovers which is something that i that i track in terms of a percentage and and raw totals so you know, you have, to me, I look at someone like Caden Gooley and go, he checks every box that you just talked about, except when play turns around. He is one of the most interesting players I've tracked all year in terms of, I don't think there's a single player who's better defensively today, in in my view, in terms of pure and simple old school defense. But one of the worst puck moving defensemen, if not the worst that I've tracked, I mean, doesn't complete a ton of his passes, doesn't doesn't complete a lot of his transitions offensively. Like he is a guy who is extremely good at getting control of the puck and then extremely good at handing it over again. So he's, he's creating situations for him to play defensively, but 
to me, I go, I want my defensemen to never create situations where they play defensively. Yeah. Like their best role is to move pucks and, and do all of that stuff. So, but can, can Caden Gooley come away and, and, and really sort of become more reliable or, or, you know, is he going to be a Nikita Zadorov 2.0? And is how impactful of a player is that on, you know, you guys would know better than me. Um, you know, how impactful is that if he's your guy at 15, 16, 17th overall or higher? Um, yeah, it depends on the night. And I could see that with Caden Gooley as well. You know, like some nights he's fine, but there are other nights and there are tons of plays that I have in my vault where it's like, he has all the time in the world to make a read and make a play and do something. And he's just firing pucks through the middle of the ice to nobody or missing targets or, or going off the glass and out. And you're just, you know, and then he gets the puck back. So, you know, you can see why people would, would like him, but I'm talking about impact on the game. And so it's hard to to find. I think that the way that you do that is you find players who are at least decent at, at shutting down play and turning play around and have that size that you're looking for. And then just say, well, let's just work with the player and see where they go. Like, you know, in the sixth round this year, you could get a guy like Victor Mancini who plays with Forlunda in Sweden. I'm a huge fan of Victor Mancini. He's one of the most underrated defensemen in my data. There's questions I have about his game, but he's he shoots right he's not small he drives good results he's been playing well this year as well in junior but still he's very young and you know he 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 can move okay but you know i find his mechanic okay but his power generation is not quite there and he can get a little bit like out of control looking which is something that i think will need to be refined but that's a guy if you can get later and just sort of work into because he does show good skill he shows decent offensive ability he, you know, shuts down offensive or he shuts down rushes defensively really well. So you work with that sort of profile long term. You know he's going to be playing top top pair minutes this year in Sweden. Maybe you wait and see what happens. He's going to a good program in Omaha. Uh, that that might be a player that I would push for in the middle rounds and just say, you know, even if this player turns out to be as impactful both defensively and offensively overall than Caden Gooley, who went top twenty. That's that's a win to me, and I think that a player like that over a long period of time, it could be possible. The Avs do love to stack their programs, having Tyler Weiss down at Uno. So yes, yep. You never know. This yep. certainly could be a target. Uh, we do need to fun. take our, our second period break. If you haven't tried Strava Craft Coffee yet, we now sell Strava Cold Brew down at the DNBR Bar. If you want to try before you make a full purchase, come on down and give it a sip. Once you love it, you can head to StravaCraftCoffee.com and either use code DNVR20 to get 20% off, or if you really love it, you can sign up for their subscription service two, three, four, six, or eight weeks and get 20% off for the entire purchase. So a great deal to save on a product that has really changed lives. It's been known to help aches and pains, IBS, migraines, anxiety, many other things as well. The CBD is non-psychoactive and it's just awesome all the way around. So give StravaCraft a try today. We've kind of drifted from from topic to topic here. As you've started to talk about second, third round pick guys, one of the conversations for the Avs not having a second round pick is looking to move back with their first. Now, it's a tough to balance. You're going to lose a certain level of talent depending on how far you move back. But do the analytics say that the more picks, the better? Or where is the break point when it comes to keeping your higher picks? Well, I think... I think things, I think something that a lot of, you know, standard, you know, hockey fans kind of don't really get into their heads around draft time is that a lot of players won't work out and a lot of players don't become top six, top pair, top four guys. Yep. It just doesn't happen. Like it, the top, you expect it out of, I'd say, your first round pick. Like that's your expectation. You're getting a guy that you think is going to contribute every night. That's the goal. But, how much that player contributes in your lineup. If you're picking 27th overall and you get yourself your third line center for the next 10 years, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good pickup that that it's cheap. It's good per dollar value. You know, you get to mold the player into what you want. Like that's the goal. Um, but once you get past a certain point, like usually in my view around 40 players, it becomes a real crap shoot. Like it's, it's, you kind of take your best shot. You take the player who you resonate with, whose play style resonates 
who you know you can have a developmental track with and you know where you want him to improve and you think that they could play a certain role. I think there's a lot of players that with the right sort of mentality about what they, what it is that they do on the ice and, and engaging and enforcing the positives, you could end up with some interesting players. And I think there are players available that might be late in the draft that I think could be good pickups just because they're statistical outliers for a number of reasons. But it does drop off pretty quickly. I think, to me, part of it is a bit of a crapshoot, but you have to identify, like, the big part of what I do is identifying, here's here's what this player is doing very, very well and better than all of these other players that likely are to be drafted ahead of them. And let's see where the holes are and try to make it so that our second round pick is more valuable, so that we make sure that we maximize what we're getting out of who we pick. So, you know, it definitely does drop off in terms of what you should be expecting. But I think that there's a lot of just really good hockey players out there available, uh, especially this year. So, yeah, you're right. You do have to walk the line. And if you're trading down, I'd say in this year's draft specifically, if you have the 24th overall pick and you get a chance to trade down for, let's say, a later first round pick and an early second round pick or a mid second round pick, you kind of have to think about it. I think you'd get two good players when you were originally going to be getting one. You know, I think there are some case studies in the second round that, you know, there are some question marks for one reason or another that are legitimate. But if those question marks get sorted out, then you might have yourself a good player. So I think I think you have to approach the draft from the angle of, you know, after I'd say the first 20, 25 picks, you can kind of say, if we get a player out of this, then then we've done well. And I think that it's possible to get more than one player out of the draft almost every year if you just do basic data research to remove a bunch of guys who probably won't make it. But yeah, it's it's a it, again like it's a value proposition. It's it's a tough one to answer. But for Colorado specifically, like if they get a chance, I would think about it. Getting more than one player per draft—a bold statement in, in Avalanche land. It's possible. <laughs> Dreaming the dream, right there. <laughs> That basically that just means they have multiple first rounders, quite possibly. So <clears throat> you're talking about trading down, and I keep saying they need to do it with Ottawa because Ottawa has 28 and they have four second rounders, and it's like if you can't find value there, yeah, you're you're all bad at your jobs. So that other than that, sense. trading down is going to be a tough proposition. I did, four second round picks. That's. Yeah, I think they have 10 in the top 100. They so. do. Yeah. They got to get one at least. That's imagine looking back at that draft class and being like, one guy. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. That would be brutal, especially with their, their high end of those picks if they only get one dude. Yeah. Oh, God. Three and five. Yeah. yeah I hadn't even thought about it. So. <laughs> Yeah. Will, I'm curious uh, where you fall on this one because uh, not every year is there a top goaltending prospect. Yeah. And last year, Spencer Knight was like, he's really good, but how good is he? And then this year, people are crazy pants over Askarov. When you're looking at your rankings and you're trying to, I mean, goaltending is just a totally different world than trying to look at a skater. How do you how do you go about evaluating a goaltender? Um, first off, can you still hear me? Is that a thing? That's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good, because my mic came unplugged for a millisecond. I yep. was just worried. Anyway, uh, yeah. So goalies are not something that I would consider myself an expert on at all. I think I would need to defer that to someone else. But um, what I do have access to is a couple of things. One, I've seen Yaroslav Askarov play a lot, um, and I've seen a lot of NHL goaltenders play. And I also have seen, uh, I, I'm able through McKean's uh, to use a website called Instat, which basically fetches video and analytics and data for basically everyone um, around the world. So it's a very, very useful tool. And one thing they do is track uh, expected goals, you know, and, and, and goals against. So looking at the differences between a goaltender's expected goals and their goals, and even even in some games, they track shot location on goalies and can do individual save percentages for various areas on a goalie. So just looking through that for fun, just to see what we're dealing with with a player like Askarov has helped. Um, 
but to me, I mean, I, I think he's legit. I think he's for real. Uh, you know, to me, I look at a goaltender and say, uh, if the if if there is a let's say fifty fifty chance that Yaroslav Askarov is your number one goaltender for the next decade when when he cut when he comes over, how much value is that? If he's a number one goaltender that you're comfortable playing every night, to me, I think that's almost invaluable. Like that's a that's a that's a role where you can either save your coach's life or get your general manager fired if you can't figure it out. You know, so if you have a goaltender that you've drafted and developed and turned into a, a franchise player, like what Askarov could be, then it makes your life way easier for a multitude of different reasons. So like we were talking about, what do you, in terms of value, like what are you giving up? And what are, you know, if you pass on Askarov, are you saying, all right, well, we won't take Askarov at say 13th overall, but instead we'll take say Dawson Mercer, who to me has a, similar chance of being like a top six offensive contributor, you know? So would you rather take a, a 60, 40 shot at a top six offensive contributor who can score or a 50, 50 <clears throat> shot at what potentially could be your franchise goalie. And to me that, that, that there's, it's a hard question to answer, but in terms of his talent, I'm not concerned. I, I look at his athleticism, his ability to make extremely difficult situations look very easy um, changing directions on his knees, uh, you know, being able to push off quickly without opening up too much ice along the ice, you know, really, really athletic with his glove, um, you know, and and I remember the, I think it was the semifinal or gold medal game at the under-18s last year where he played against that USA development program team with Jack Hughes, Cole Caulfield, all these guys. And he must have stopped three cross-ice one-timers from Jack Hughes to Cole Caulfield and made it look like, it was easy. You know, he was right in position, ready to ready to co- cover as much net as he possibly could. I'm not really concerned about it. The only thing on his resume that didn't really go well was the World Juniors. And, you know, maybe that's what nukes his entire career. But frankly, you look at how he's playing in the KHL this year already. You look at how he played in the men's league in Russia last year for a very, very good program. I mean... The Russian coaches and Russian development systems try to find every excuse they can not to play a lot of young players. And with goalies, I can only imagine how that is, especially for a program like SKA. But they don't really seem to be super concerned. And they're playing him in the KHL already. And he's 19 years old. I I really look at it and go, this could be your guy. And And if you pass on it, fine. I understand the whole I don't like goalies in the first round thing. I'm one of those people. He's the only one that that I, in my work, I've really looked at as a first round player, but I think, I think that he's a very clear value proposition at like, I have him ranked, I think 10th or 11th. And because just because if it works, your the rest of your life is just infinitely easier. And he's the closest thing that I've seen in the last few years to a sure bet. I would say. I think it's an interesting conversation because you look at Carey price, you know, he was drafted fifth overall. And it's like, that is really high for a goaltender. Yep. But I feel like Montreal, given given how Price's career has gone, Montreal would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, for sure. They, and I mean, they haven't worried about it. That position, they have not worried about that, that position outside of like, hey, we need a backup, which yeah. has been an issue for them. Yeah, but like getting the guy that's gonna play sixty five times, sixty to sixty five times for them every every year, they haven't worried about it for a decade. Yeah, it becomes an issue, I think, when it comes time to sign, say, Askarov to a ten and a half million dollar contract or whatever that sure. means in seven years. Like that's when it, that's when I start to think, okay, maybe you let someone else worry about that and move him, and in the time you develop someone else or pick someone else up who can replace him for cheap. You know, like that's where you start to lose me with your goaltending valuations. And I know that I've read some analytics uh, of analyzing per dollar value in goaltenders. And you never like it it, with most goaltenders you draft by the time they reach unrestricted free agency age, you never get the value out of them that you expect. But I think that Askarov is as close to a bet that he'll go against that since Vasilevsky. Like Vasilevsky at the same age had been to three under 18 world championships. He was playing, I think, KHL games, if not 
not he wasn't playing second division Russian games, but but at least junior Russian games. So he doesn't even have the professional mm-hmm. resume that Askarov has at this point. So, you know, I think that just based on that, you can, you know, make your assumptions about oh, goalies don't provide that value. But I, I think Askarov is a guy who could be an NHL goaltender pretty quickly. He shows a lot of maturity with how he handles uh, how he handles himself on the ice and how he plays. There's calmness. There's athleticism. He just goes out and stops pucks. And from what I've heard, the coaches and everything say the same thing. He's mature beyond his years, uh, and and he's ready for pretty much anything. I mean, I can't imagine being an 18-year-old goalie playing for SKA St. Petersburg uh, in Russia, you know, in front of the most demanding fans in the country um, and doing as well as he's doing. So I'm not too concerned about it. Um, but, the yeah, like with Carey Price, certainly when it comes time that you he basically has a blank check and the Canadians have to sign it, that's when things get a little bit complicated. Um, but I guess to me, you cross that bridge when you get to it. It's, it's a lot easier to give a blank check to a, to a center like Colorado's yeah. going to have to do with Nathan McKinnon here in a couple of years. Yep. <laughs> but again, like with Askarov, he comes over, you probably make him your backup right away in the NHL. Yep. And like by the end of his ELC, he's probably starting for you. That's my assumption too. And then you have him on as an RFA for multiple years. Yep. And maybe you can maybe you can get him on a long-term deal where you buy out a few of those UFA years and you don't have to worry about it until he's 28, 29 years old. Yeah, and then it and becomes a little like, easier. And you're just like, look, by the time he's 29, like we'll worry about that. If you have another goalie in that decade, then you That's failed. a problem. Yeah. 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 Like Montreal has Caden Primo, who's coming along pretty well, and he was a seventh round pick. So I get the argument you can draft a goalie later in the draft for sure. Like Caden Primo had bad numbers in his draft year. I didn't see this player out of him and and definitely a situation where I don't know. I don't know anything about goaltending. But I look at the, I looked at his track record and his history and every time I'd seen him play and go, I, I don't know. And as a seventh round pick, sure, take a if you got if you got a guy your goalie guys like. Just take him. I don't care. It's a seventh round yeah, pick. Um, but I think with Askarov, you're dealing with a much more <clears throat> solid resume without, I would say, as many red flags or, or things that, you know, like to me, I look at goalies and go, what are you doing with your career? Where are you? How, how many pucks are you stopping? You know, what level are you playing at? And how have you done in the last few years? Um, you know, I think if I think that history tends to repeat itself, I guess, with goaltenders. If you're good, you're good. You just need to stop pucks. Um, you know, but again, this year, I don't know, in the same program, uh, in their junior program, they still have a 20 year old who's been absolutely outstanding for three years and no one's drafted him in Dmitry Nikolaev, who I would look at and say, look, in the seventh round, he's a 20 year old goalie who stops 95% of the pucks that he, the, the pucks that he faces every, every season. And he's done that for three years. Maybe that's a guy you take a swing on and see what happens. Cause whenever I've seen him play, he just absorbs the puck. I mean, so does Askarov, but you know, he, he, he's a good goaltender and I don't know if, if you like him, then take him. Um, but with Askarov, I think it's a, I think the individual case study is a little bit different. Solving the NHL problems on today's podcast. Just stop the puck. It's not that hard. Yeah, it's not hard. <laughs> Put Dwayne, the rock Johnson in there. He takes up half the net. <laughs> get the commercials like i yep. guess i don't know if you get those commercials in canada where they have the the walrus in net no okay we do not have the walrus definitely an I american am, thing i am yep. also unfamiliar with yeah, the walrus. yeah you don't you have your your other ways to watch it but yeah there's a I, it, earlier in the season there's a very popular commercial of they put a walrus in net and he stopped mm. all the pucks and it was right. a terrible commercial <laughs> not a not a terrible idea though walruses are huge so <laughs> <laughs> might work you could, if you could get him to stay in net i think you might be onto something yeah <laughs> you can train changing, a walrus game changing the game be, of hockey here i yeah. tell you it would be so frustrating like you go through all that process you think you've trained him to stay in the net and wait and then <laughs> first shift of the game backward. you just wanders on not, out and you're like all right i'm not certain but i don't think there is language in the cba that specifies that your players have to be human males mm-hmm. and i don't this, the dog can't play basketball yeah and i don't think there's language in the definition of terms that specifies what they mean by player i could be wrong so it might be a thing that that could be right. possible so if i draft a three-year-old dog is he old enough to be drafted in human years or 
seven years per, right? So he'd be 21. I guess he'd be I, too old to be drafted. That one I don't think would work because I think they <laughs> outline birthday and age pretty clearly. So maybe, like, I don't think like, dog years aren't different than human years, right? That's, they're just. Right. So there's not some geriatric know. dogs playing hockey. Got yeah, it. very old <laughs> I feel like I feel like Peter would have a real problem. That would be a bit to, of an issue, yeah. You're trying to suit up a walrus to go play goalie for you. <laughs> oh. Nah. Can't. Those things never get injured. They're huge. <laughs> they're tough. They're tough. Yeah, uh, they're all blubber. Obviously, the pod is going off the rails here uh-huh. a little bit. So, Will, anything you want to shout out? Anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's uh, We're coming down to draft time. So, twitter.com slash scouching, youtube.com slash scouching. Those are the two pillars. Uh, Patreon.com slash scouching, where you get a bunch of extra perks and fun stuff like early access to videos, uh, data visualizations, you know, data sheets for draft eligible players and everything. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe to the YouTube channel, you should still probably come by uh, during the draft. Uh, I think you guys mentioned you were streaming as well. So you can open up my drive draft stream as well in a, <laughs> in another window maybe, and just alternate muting one to the other uh, or just mute me the entire time. That'd be cool too. Um, but yeah, we also just to mention it before I go, uh, that draft live stream, we do it to raise money as well. So any money donated will be matched by me to send off to You Can Play. Uh, we did that last year. It was a good thing. Uh, raised a few hundred bucks. So I'm hoping this year we can blow that out of the water. So uh, come on down. It's going to be fun. Anytime the draft is going on, I'll st- it's starting a half hour before the draft. And then it'll just it's just going to run. So come by for that. If not, subscribe to everything else and, and give me your money. <laughs> There you go. Be sure check out his YouTube channel. He does excellent, excellent videos breaking down prospects and all of that. Highly recommend. When we're super disappointed with whoever the Avs take, I'm sure you can flip over to his video and he'll be like, "Here's why this is actually a good pick." It could be, yeah. So as long as I don't repeat that Drew Hellison thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. There you have it. Pick a good player. That's all we can hope for out of the draft. We're going to get out of here for the day. Thank you, everyone, for listening, watching, however you consume the podcast. Again, you can find Will at Scouching on Twitter, Scouching on YouTube as well, and you can even just find him at Scouching.ca, his website. So hit him up. Get on his Patreon if you want early access to know what's going on in the draft. And our final sponsor of the day, WGT Golf, the number one golf app out there, loved by more than 20 million people around the world. We at DNVR do tournaments every single weekend. If you want to be a part of it, go to dnvrgolf.com to download the app and search for Clubhouse at DNVR3. To join everyone, you can play closest to the hole, match play, stroke play, play anyone, anytime, just throw a challenge their way, play one, three, five, nine, eighteen. You name it, just some quick golf or a long game of golf. It's awesome on true-to-life courses. So thank you, everyone, for watching or listening, and we will catch you guys on the next episode.